Glad you're here today. My name is Blair. I do some of the teaching around here. And if you've been at Waypoint for more than a year, uh, you've been exposed to what I'm about to do today. You'll be fine. If you haven't, let me help you, okay? I believe this text has um, been inspired by God. It didn't mean he took over somebody's body so that they would write exactly what they told him to write. But it's think in some cases with Moses, God said, write this down. I don't know how much of it, but a lot of it. Um, and in other cases, it was just a partnership with God where their spirit was in, intertwined with God's spirit and what they wrote mattered. And because of that, what happens is you'll be drawn into the text. If, if you love God, you'll find yourself here digging around in it asking questions because you can bump into God this way. And, and when you do that, a couple things are going to happen to you. I'm sure more, but these two I think are true. One, you'll find out that this is far more complex than you realized. You could read the same section of Scripture multiple times and you'll get different things that your heart will be challenged with. And some of the layers are absolutely intentional. Like when God inspired the writing of it, he inspired layers that would cause the scriptures to help you understand what other scriptures were saying. There's deep stuff in here. So we've talked about remezes, we've talked about chiasm. Today we're going to talk about echoes and how they're kind of written into the text to cause you to grab something. And here's, here's what's important because this is the second thing that will happen. When you read in the scriptures, it will have something to do with your life right now. Uh, one of the mistakes that we made is we read this text often to gain more knowledge, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. But I'm not going to go through this whole process of laying out a whole bunch of layers that are going on in the text so that you can know more. Ultimately, there is truth embedded in here that's about how we live, how we think, the attitudes that we take on with our lives. And I want, I want that to come out. I want to have a conversation about that. It's always been the trouble with this type of service, though. Um, these layers, because they're complex, they take time. Uh, the section of Scripture that we're going to go to and look at today, I've used... Um, some teachings from three different rabbis who are giving incredible cultural background in this area. And I brought it all together and I was trying to do one message. And I was going insane last week. I was pulling my hair out and finally I just gave up and I chopped off one of the huge layers that's in the story and I just threw it away. And I, I'll, I'll go back to it in the next year. We'll go back to the same section of scripture. We'll pick it up because it's really cool. And it would have been, it would have been fun to talk about because of what it, it says about our lives right now. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at two layers. And, and both layers are needed in order for us to fully understand what God wanted us to consider and think about. So he, he layered them into the scriptures on purpose. They're there for our consideration so that we can play um, a fun little game. By the way, if you're reading in the text, you should play this fun little game often. Here's the game. Have I heard anything like this before? 
Have I heard anything like this before? And if you, if you think there might be something in here that you've heard before, you should go back and dig around and see if there's anything there because the scriptures are often linked together in a way to help you understand something deep that's going on. That's what we're about to do. I'm about to take you um, to an odd section of scripture. It's odd because this is one of the rare instances where Israel is not at the center of the story. There's a foreign nation, and by the way, it's not just the mention of the foreign nation. We're given their communications, we're given their thinking, we're given all kinds of stuff about what they're doing and how they're doing it. This is not normal, but there must be a reason that God is putting this center in the text. And so we wanna pay attention to that. And what we're gonna find as we start getting into that is that there are echoes to past stories. They're gonna come into the story and give it depth and meaning. They're gonna help us think about our lives right here, right now. So if you have your Bible, if you have a cell phone app, that's great. If you don't have a cell phone app, the Bible app, you ought to download it. It's, it's excellent. Uh, but you can turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. And because there's echoes, I'm going to bounce all over the place. The, um, Top Gun is in the theaters right now, right? So I'm not as dated when I use this reference. Is, uh, I feel the need. The need for speed, right? I'm going fast. We're going to cover two layers, but I, we can't stay very long on any of them. We can't digest them. I hope you'll go back and do that yourself. That would be really great. But we're just going to book it, all right? In Numbers chapter 22, here's where we find ourselves. Israel is in year 40 of wandering in the desert. It's almost over. Um, they're waiting for a few more people to pass away that had decided not to trust God, and then this nation who's, who's willing to cross over and take this land that God has offered them is ready to go. And, and they've gone and they've asked for some people to cross their land. We just want to cross your land to get to the other side of the Jordan. And two kings refuse. Actually, they don't just refuse. They attack Israel, which is a bad idea because they both lose and they both lose because God is blessing Israel. Go ahead and put the map up on the screen if you would. Um, so they're trying to cross over here. And Og and Shion both oppose him, both lose. And this would have been significant because these guys were powerful kings. This would have sent jitters through the whole region. It messes with Moab, because Ammon had actually defeated Moab in the past, and now you've got a country who's come in and beat Ammon, that's concerning. But Israel is camping out on the plains of Moab. They're not interested in any fight with them. They just want to cross through. That's it. And the story leaves Israel and turns to the nation of Moab, and we're introduced to a guy named Balak, who is the king of Moab. And we're going to get some information about him in verse 2 of Numbers chapter 22. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. Oddly enough, 
That seems like a throwaway, just background information verse. But in reality, what we just had happen to us in this little verse is that there were three echoes back to a past story. All three, all in this little verse. Um, so one of, the, one of the echoes is you have a foreign leader who's noticing a rising Israel. He sees what's going on, and he uses a phrase. He notices everything he saw, all that Israel had done, all that Israel had done. There's actually a phrase like that used in another story where a foreign leader notices a rising Israel. They change one word, but it's outside of the phrase in the Hebrew. The core phrase would have been the same. Everything that had been done, this is by Israel. The other one's going to say something different. But that phrase is there. And there's another word that's a little odd too. Zippor. Zippor means little bird. How'd you like to have that name in middle school, right? Hey, little bird, right? You'd, but it's okay. This dude's king. He'd be like, what'd you say? And then you would say, nothing. I didn't say anything. And everything would have been okay because he would just lop your head off if he didn't like what you were saying. So he was doing just fine. But here's what's interesting. There's only one other Zippor in the whole scriptures. It's a Zipporah. And maybe some of you are putting the link together now. Zipporah was married to Moses, was the daughter of Jethro. And it's the only two times these names are mentioned. So I want to drag you back to Exodus 18, where we're introduced to Jethro, a guy who's noticing a rising Israel. I don't want you to see a few things. Verse 1, now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done. It's that same phrase, everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel. So you have, you have this guy who's a foreign leader who's noticing Israel has defeated, somehow won a victory in Egypt, has come out of Egypt, unbelievable, and you're like, well, where's Zipporah? It's right in the second verse. It says, for after Moses has sent away his wife Zipporah. So you have this, all, this connection in here. And I'm going to circle another one. In this verse, in verse 18, 1, you see that he's a priest of Midian. So his nationality is Midian. And I want you to know that because this is going to be important. So you have all of these connections happening here. And at first blush... You might think to yourself, we're about to get a repeat of a Jethro story. There must be something else here that God wants us to understand. He's about to create a layer that we need to like, grasp this more or deeper or better. But there are clear connections, and we'll show you there's one more too in just a second, um, with Jethro. Okay, So then we go back. And we read verse 3 of Numbers 22. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Now, 
if you would thoroughly read in Exodus 18, you would, you would come across this verse in 18.9. It said, Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. He's delighted. Balak, terrified. It almost feels like this is not a Jethro story. Like something else weird is happening here. But they, but they keep throwing hints because in the next verse, the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, where does Balak turn first? Midian. Now, it's not said in the scriptures, but there are some historical documents to indicate. So I don't know this for sure. I'm telling you what's in the historical documents outside of the text. That Balak was a Midian prince before he married into Moab and became king. Whatever it is, his first instinct is to turn back towards Midian. And you have this other connection, this other link that draws you back to the Jethro story. But it becomes very clear that this is not going to be a Jethro story. Because when he contacts Midian, he has a plan his plan is to contact a prophet who will come and curse Israel. Now, I know how that sounds to us. That sounds weird. But I want you to understand how common this is. Um, when archaeologists dig up sites all around the Middle East, what they will find, actually um, throughout Greek and Rome areas too, they will find curse tablets um, I have a slide with all kinds of examples of them that you can see there. Um, it's a few. Loads and loads of curse tablets. So when you see the scripture say, I'll bless those who bless you, I'll curse those who curse you, very active. You would actually get people to go and do curses and blessings on people. In fact, this is kind of cool. In the last year, um, a little curse tablet the size of a stamp made out of lead was found in Israel. It's the oldest known document that has the name of Yahweh on it. And it was a curse tablet. Somebody was cursing somebody who had not fulfilled their word. And they're, they're gonna, if it verifies out at the age they think it is, it will, it will shake things up because people have said, ah, God wasn't around. He was kind of made up at this time. Nope. It looks like 200 years before that, People were using the name of Yahweh in curses. So this curse stuff, this was very common in these ancient cultures. And here's his plan, verse 6 of 22. Now come, he's going to send this message. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Now up to this point, I've read everything that I've read in um, the NIV, it's the New International Version. And the reason they translate the inter New International Version is that so you can understand the context of what, what was being said. That, that was what was important. We want you to understand what's being said uh, more than writing down what was literally said. We want to get you the context and the content. And I, I like that, so I do that. But I also spend time in other translations, and here's the reason why. Because if you're trying to find echoes, 
If you're trying to find things that are repeated that seem similar and they don't use the same words, you're going to have a hard time doing that. So what I want to do is I want to put up on the screen um, numbers in the NASB. And I'm going to underline some key words that are repeated. That, by the way, the same thing is happening. A foreign leader notices a rising Israel, but oddly enough, the echo this time, those three different phrases and words are used out of a different story. It's a much worse story. It's out of Exodus 1. Have I heard this, anything like this before? You have. You've heard this before. Um, this is how Pharaoh responded to a rising Israel. Now, just in case, you, you can see the word more and numerous. You can see mighty and mightier. You can see dread of sons. I want you to understand. Go to the next slide. I want you to understand that although you have lots of opportunities to translate this word differently, in the Hebrew, it's the same. Many, more, numerous. Same word. Same word for mighty. And this dread, it's a rare word used in the scriptures, only used nine times, only twice does it say dread of the sons of Israel, once in the story of Balak, once in the story of Pharaoh. You have this echo back to Pharaoh, and now all of a sudden, you're itching your head. Why do we have two echoes with greatly different outcomes in both of these stories? Which is what, by the way, I think the writer of the story wanted us to ask. I, I think they wanted us to have some wrestling, some disturbance over why in the world are these contrasting stories, why are we being pulled back to them? I think God's intention was to highlight that Balak had a choice. He stood in a place where he could see and hear what God was doing for Israel. And he could either choose a Jethro-like response or he could choose a Pharaoh-like response, which is, by the way, another thing all three of these guys have in common. They see a rising Israel and they all have to respond. What am I going to do about that? How am I going to respond to this? What am I going to think about this? They all respond. Let me show you how Pharaoh responds. This is in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. So he put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. His response is to oppress Israel. And if you're wondering how in the world he got there, well, go and read the text. One of the things that will jump out at you is there is not one single reference in the Pharaoh story about where God is doing anything. He doesn't attribute God any power. He doesn't see God in the story at all. He never once recognizes that Israel is becoming mighty because of the blessing of God. You're not going to find it. But go to Jethro's story. 
Jethro sees a rising Israel and he responds. But look at what his response is. In verse 1, he says this. He heard everything God had done for Moses and for the people of Israel. Who does he credit? God. He celebrates this. He's delighting in this. In verse 10, he says, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians of Pharaoh. Who gets credit? In Jethro's mind, he was recognizing the hand of God all over that story. Which raises the question, when we get to Balak, Balak sees a rising Israel. He's got a choice between an Egyptian response and a Jethro response. And the question is, does he see God? Does God show up anywhere for him? Sadly. Let me show you this. These are sections of scripture. Go ahead to the next slide. Um, In Numbers 22, when he saw What does he say happened? Not everything God had done, he saw all that Israel had done. Didn't see God in any aiding them at all. In verse 6, he says, this people came out of Egypt like one day they just got up and left because they could do that on their own. He didn't see God in their story at all. They have been wandering around being sustained by God in the desert for 40 years. He could have watched that. They all knew the history And he doesn't attribute any of it to God. In fact, the writer goes out of his way over and over in this section of Scripture to help you understand that God is not on their radar at all. They send a message to Balaam, say, come and curse. And Balaam says, quote, God said, I can't go with you. They walk back to Balak and they say, he said he can't come with us. That's not what he said. God gets left out over and over. I don't know how many times in the text, I'm giving you a few references right here where Balaam finally does come. And every time he opens his mouth, it's a blessing. And he had warned Balak. He said, listen, I can't say anything that God doesn't let me say. And so Balak wants him to curse. And so he steps out and he blesses and Balak's mad. Why are you saying that? And he has to remind him over and over, go read it. The reminder is over and over and over again. Did I not tell you that I cannot say anything outside of what God wants me to say? And yet, Balak's eyes were closed. He was convinced that Balaam was the source of the cursing. That Balaam had the power to do this. And that he was just not choosing to use that power on his behalf. Over And over and over, over three chapters, you will find Balak refusing to recognize the presence of God in anything. And where does it lead him? He decides to oppress Israel. He does it with a curse, but he's attempting to control them. He's hoping to undermine them so that he can defeat them in battle, drive them out of there. That's his goal. And he sets himself in opposition to God. Now, in all the stuff that I was reading, 
I didn't find anybody discussing why Balak made this choice. How did he get there? The dude had an opportunity to have a Jethro-like response, and he missed it. I actually think the scriptures let us in to what happened in his mind and in his heart that caused him to miss this opportunity. I want you to see this. This is Numbers chapter 22, verse 4. When he contacts the elders of Midian, he says this to them. This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. It's not true. They were looking to pass through. They were looking to move on. They were never going to threaten Midian. They were never going to threaten Moab. They just wanted to pass through. And yet, what Balak was focused on was what he thought he might lose. He was focused on how he thought this was going to impact him. And because his focus was there, he missed all of the signs that God was at work in this situation. And instead of responding with celebration, instead of becoming an ally, instead of being exuberant about what God had done on behalf of Israel, he opposes them. And oddly enough, sets himself up in opposition to God. Because God was blessing Israel. And because of his lack of recognition, he's now pressing against God. And this is not going to turn out well for him. It is this idea that I want to look at in our lives today. Because I think, man, it seems like in our culture there's an ep epidemic of people who simply do not recognize the presence of God in their lives anywhere. Um, and maybe it stems from some of the same places that it started with Pharaoh and Balak. If you paid attention in the scripture, what were they so concerned about that there were so many, that they were so mighty? They had dread. They feared them. They feared the consequences of all of this. And I want to tell you, fear, um, fear is a, a place where stuff can grow that will mess with your life. Fear of the unknown, fear of failure. He feared economic turmoil. If there's any a time where we could have that sense right now, you could be walking around with that. The fear of what's going to happen in the future doesn't look good. And when that happens, is it turns your focus internally on what you might lose, on what might happen to me, and you become the center of the story. And you begin to miss where God is active in your story, active in the stories around you. Because I believe that he is. But the focus on the fear and what you might lose 
grabs your attention. Sometimes it happens because we get focused on an insecurity. There's this place in our lives where we think we're less than. Maybe we grew up hearing that. It gets planted in lots of different ways. But you're on a mission to prove to everybody that you're worthy of respect. That what they said about you isn't right. And that whole insecurity drives every decision that you make. It owns you. Because in your mind, if you don't do this, you could lose. You could lose respect. They could be right about you. And you become the focus. This happens with desires. I want what I want. I want it right now. And so you pursue that thing. And what you want becomes the focus. And it squeezes out your ability to recognize that God is engaged in your life. By the way, I see this happening in the area of wisdom right now with followers of Jesus. I see a lot of followers of Jesus who are looking at the scriptures and saying, I think I'm wiser and smarter than people in the past. I think I can disregard these sections of scripture. They don't mean anything to me. And they're doing it so that they can have the culture tell them, ah, you're wise, you're smart, you've chosen well. And it feels good to have that kind of thing. But you've just become the center of your wisdom. And when you do it, you have this opportunity to squeeze God out of the picture and miss that he's active in your life. Like this is, this is very real stuff. The temptation for us to be the center of the story is significant. I've, I've been wrestling with this story um, for a few months now, getting ready for this, and this stuff, has, this stuff has really piqued my interest. It has my attention right now because we've already shared with you guys that in this next 16 months or so, we're going to make a transition. And here's what I can tell you about the transition that we're going to make. I don't know. Like, the place of unknown, the number of fears, the, all that kind of stuff the insecurities that could come to the surface and all of that, man, I'm, I'm struggling with some of that stuff right now. And God was able to kind of step in the way and say, listen, I'm taking you into an unknown place, but I'm taking you. And if you could recognize me, this is going to be okay. But if your fear, if your insecurity, if what you want, if your wisdom overtakes me, Blair, you might not just lose your way. You could end up doing things that actually set your heart in opposition to me. This, this, is, this is a real thing that happens in our hearts and our lives. And it's a warning from the story of Balak that, my friends, you have two choices. 
You have two choices in how you'll respond to the world that you're walking through right now. You'll either find a way to recognize God or you won't. Can I give you a hint? Can I, if you would start this practice, you would go a long way towards recognizing God on a regular basis and it would be like an inoculation against all of this stuff, all of this uncertainty that we're about to face. All these fears, all of these things that are coming our way. Why don't you practice praising God every day? Most of us pray. And when we pray, we talk to God about the stuff that we want, the stuff that we need, the other things that people need. We pray about all of that kind of stuff. If you could start working into your conversation with God, the things that you see that he's been faithful on and thank him. Find good things that he's done in your life and thank him. Start giving him your focus on where he's been good. And you will feel your heart drawn to finding more and more and more of that. So when you get into those moments where you have a choice, you'll recognize that even though it looks dark, I've never been alone. I've never been abandoned. I've always had this faithful God with me. And because of that, I can praise. I can have a Jethro-like response. I can actually see reality for what it is. God's involved in my life. He cares about what's going on. He's good. So I'm going to praise. And it keeps you in line moving forward, even through turbulent seas of life with a God who wants to be seen and recognized in your life and in your heart. But you have the choice, just like Balak did when he stood looking at the incredible things that God had done. His eyes were blinded to it he missed it. And then he stood in opposition to God. My friends, I do not want that for you. Will you choose to find God, to praise him, to recognize the goodness that he's doing in your life? Let me pray with you. God, we all have and we all have things that come into our lives that could generate fear. We've all had different insecurities that have been placed in our hearts over time that we need to unload. We have desires. We have this sense of wanting to feel like we're wise, that we're accepted, that we're okay. And in the process of that, we, we become the center and we miss all that you do for us, everything that God had done. God, you are a good God who's active in our lives. You're active when we're afraid. You're active when we're insecure. You're active when we desire things that are harmful to us. You're active when we think we would be wiser discarding your truth. But I ask you would call our hearts back 
our hearts back to a sense of praise and goodness and gratefulness for who you are so that fear doesn't drive a wedge between you and us. That insecurity doesn't push us away from you. God, I'm, I'm convinced that you're active in every one of the lives of the people who are sitting here. I ask that you would give them eyes to see, give them ears to hear, so that they can celebrate with you the goodness of your actions in their lives. Open our minds to see it. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.